Good morning. I have a couple of before I start comment to make. Um, one was going to be an apology to Joanne for flying by her on the freeway as I drove to work or to church this morning. <laughs> but since she's uh, not here yet, I don't have to apologize. Um, one other comment, um, and I had experienced it before, but I um, was reminded of this morning. Um, even people who are uh, frequent speakers, like Jay and, and Ian and whatever, I'm sure have some apprehension before they stand up to speak, Chris. And um, as the choir was doing the intro this morning and the, and the hymn just now, it's amazing how those, those fears, that apprehensive just just flows away when you're sitting listening to a choir and um, appreciating the message and, and the, the, the sound that they make. So um, although they're not in yet, thank you to the choir for, for doing that. And one other thing as, as we start, I'd like us to go to prayer together. We need to focus on worshiping the Lord. So here's how this is going to work. I'm going to say just a couple opening words, and then I'm going to say, thank you, Lord. And I'd like you to fill in a blank after that with something that you're thankful for. Five seconds or so. And I'm going to say it again. And another five seconds. And then I'm going to say it again. And hopefully at that point, we are ready to begin to worship the Lord and have... Do you want to do it out loud? Pardon? Out loud or just in our heads? Yes. Whatever, whatever you're comfortable doing. Um, so, let's go to the word in prayer. Our Father, we come today to worship you. We are so grateful for all that you've done for us, especially in this time of Easter, when we realize how important we are to you, that you would send your Son for to earth to teach us about it, you, to show us who you are, to die for us that we might join you someday. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, we come together in your son's name. Amen. As you've just experienced, I appreciate and look forward to audience participation when I speak. So I have a couple of quick questions to get this started. Who likes to participate as the audience out here during sermons? One, two, three, four, okay. Who doesn't like to participate in sermons? A few more hands have gone up. And there's one more category. Who doesn't like to participate so much that they're not even going to raise their hand to say, I don't like to participate? Okay. So today we're going to talk about the scripture versus the session adopted last week to guide us this year. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24. 
Um, I didn't coordinate with Cindy, so we may have different versions of some of the words. Um, so we'll, if they don't match, that's why. We're going to look at the implications of living into and out of these couple of verses. I'm going to read a couple of extra verses around that just for a little context. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Need to stop for just a second and give you the instructions before I read this. Sometimes you jump ahead in your notes and you don't even realize you did it. Listen in here for two words that jump out several times. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we, how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What were the two words? Let us. Thank you. So I went to my Greek dictionary and looked this up to see if the intent was for these words to be passive or active. Now, since I can't read Greek, you're going to have to trust me that the intent was and is active. Okay? Now, since we've decided to call this an active pronouncement, what would that mean? For the moment, let's just say it goes something like this. Let us do something. Let us do something. Do you hear the words of James bouncing around in your head? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. If we review these six verses, there are five let us statements. Verse 22, let us draw near to God. Have you seen the t-shirt which reads, Mom's Rules? Number one, Mom is in charge. Number two, See rule number one. The biblical version of this shirt is similar. Rule number one, draw near to God. Rule number two, see rule number one. If we don't start on our knees before God, then the plan or outcome will be of our making, not his. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. More about this in just a minute. Quick question. Who here has used the word unswervingly any time in the last six months? Okay. Verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Ian will be talking about this Admonition and telling us what the session's thoughts are regarding the upcoming year. 
Verse 25, let us not give up meeting together. Ready? Audience participation one more time. Please lean forward and air pat the person in front of you and say, good morning. Nice to see you. See you next week. Maybe we should go to coffee after church today. Verse 25, let us encourage one another. Let me repeat that. <coughs> let us encourage one another. This is so important. You'll never know how much a word of encouragement can mean to someone else's life. I'm going to suggest that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. If you've ever had that sense, I need to say something. But you didn't do it. The Holy Spirit was urging you on, not because he needed or you needed to speak. The Holy Spirit was encouraging you because that person needed to hear from you. So let's go back over that using a, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. So let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his words. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not avoid worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on especially as we see the big day approaching. So let's go back to the Greek and its insistence or encouragement to be active, to do something. Friends, we've got a job to do. We've got lots of jobs to do. Consider a version, a couple of verses that back this up from James. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says. In a case it sounds like I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the guy talking here, just for clarification. And from 1 Peter, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now back to let us. This part is tricky, so you're going to have to listen closely, please. Who is us? Okay. I can't be us without all of these let us's, if you will, require an us. And us is me and you. You matter or there is no us. Ian, you matter. Stephen, you matter. Bev, you matter. Mike and Kay, you matter. Doug, you matter. Jerry and Janet, you matter. You matter. Janet, you matter. Chris, you matter. Now one more time. I want you to look around the room, find someone, and if you don't know their name, just insert Billy Bob or Mary Sue. Look them in the eye and say, Jim, you matter. We can't do this without you. Are you ready? 
Find someone, look them in the eye, and say, you matter. We can't do this without you. Who matters? You matter. Second word, any guesses? Job. We've got a job to do. In fact, there are many jobs here at Covenant which need to be done by someone. But before we worry about which job, we need to ask, how do jobs around here get done? Someone has to do them. So what's another word for someone? You. And what do we know about you? You matter. What's going to be your job at Covenant this year? So let's go to verse 23 and see if we can understand this specific directive. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Again, let's look at a couple of these words. We've already looked at let us, and we've agreed that it is a directive to do something. So our next word is hold. Hold. What's implied here? Am I supposed to hold on to me, to myself? Or am I supposed to reach out and grab a hold of something? Which one? Reach out. So how should we hold? Unswervingly. What do we know? What have we been taught that suggests we shouldn't let anything stop us from reaching out and holding on? Unswerving suggests without doubt or hesitation. Where do we find assurance, where do we find assurance to overcome our doubt, our hesitation? Listen to a few verses and see if they don't instill confidence in you. Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things, good work, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called. And if you know these, please say them along with me. John 6, 69. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. John 8, 23 and 24. But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. John 14, 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is why we can unswervingly hold on. Next word, he. So who is he? What has he told us about himself that makes him accountable and trustworthy? What is there about this he that makes him any different than any other he? I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. He who comes to the Father, no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. He is different. He is one of a kind. He is Jesus the Christ. And that difference is why he could and does promise what he did then and what he continues to promise today. He is different and his promises are true and doubt should not be any part of this equation because he is faithful. And what do we know about faith from Ephesians? For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Second Timothy, if we are faithless, he will remain faithful. For he cannot disown himself, or as Peterson puts it, he does not give up, for there's no way he can be false to himself. So let's put this together. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Through the grace God has given us, we have faith in Jesus the Christ, who died for us on the cross. So now we can go forward to spread the gospel, the good news, the gospel, and to help accomplish the Great Commission. Amen? Let me close with this lead-in to Ian's comments and instruction. As you hear Ian speak, ask yourself this question. Am I going to be an active or passive presence at Covenant this year? Thanks, Dan. Well, Stan opened, um, no matter how many times, at least I can only speak for myself, it's no matter how many times I get in front of a room full of people, there's always a temptation, um, specifically for me, to look around at a room like this and think, it's foolish that you're the one up front. Uh, I look around and most of you in this room have been walking with the Lord longer than I've been alive. And so, uh, that's just a guess, no offense. <laughs> just a guess. But, but realistically, we tend to underestimate, um, we under underestimate what we have to offer. And even though it makes me, uh, I guess maybe it, it humbles me and that's a good thing, but I think that the things that I've learned most, uh, I, I can't necessarily point to somebody who's, been on this earth longer than me or someone who's a newborn. I can't, I can't necessarily point to somebody who's walked with the Lord for a long time or, or someone who's just investigating the truth of Jesus Christ because all truth is God's truth and all of us have something to share with each other and that is the essence of what we're talking about here is that everybody has, everybody has things to offer. The idea of spurring one another on is what I'm going to talk about. And holding fast to the confession of our faith is where that spurring on is grounded. Um, an illustration I've given before, but I'm going to give it again uh, because I think it proves a good point. It has to do with my wife. So a little over 16 years ago, um, I met Melissa. I didn't know that she was going to be my wife then, but 
from the time that I met her, I thought, this is somebody that I want to spend a lot more time with. And the more we spent time together, the more that was confirmed. And uh, sooner or later, I thought, I've got to do something about this. I've got to take some action. I've got to, I've got to make um, kind of the first move. And so in, on Valentine's Day in 2015, I found out where she lived, and I left a rose and a card anonymously on her car. And I thought, because I didn't want to put myself out there too much, right, because I didn't want to get shut down and, you know. So I left this, this note and this rose. And that evening, while we were spending some time with other single friends on Valentine's Day, um, she asked me if I, if I had left anything on her car, if I'd been in, in her part of town. And eventually I told her that it, it was me. And eventually I found out that she was glad that it was me. So that was a good thing. Um, a little while later, I got a chance to meet with her dad. And we had breakfast together. And that was on uh, St. Patrick's Day of the same year. We met for breakfast. And the purpose of our breakfast was for me to talk about my intentions with his daughter. And, um, and basically, I, I let him know and he let me know that the purpose of courtship and of dating is to pursue marriage. And I told him then that that was my intention. And so fast forward another about seven or so months, and uh, th our relationship, compared to some, moved rather rapidly. Uh, while she was traveling on business, I went out and I bought a ring. And when she came home, uh, we went out and, and I asked her to marry me. And she said yes, which is good, you know. Some of you, if you know us, obviously at some point she said yes, right? So. She said yes, and about four and a half months later, we were married. So from day one, which I believe was December 18th of 2004, to today, which is day 5,938, there have been a number of times when I had to have more than just good intentions. I had to have more than just ambition. I had to actually take action. And... What if all I ever had was good intentions? What if my boldness ended simply at dreaming of what life with her would be like? That's not boldness. You can have ambitious dreams, but if there's no action that accompanies those dreams, it doesn't actually accomplish anything. That's the second part of this passage. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is a verse that calls us to action. And I love to talk about action. We have to be reminded more than we have to be taught. We all know these things. The things that Dan talked about and the way that he encouraged us and the way that over this past week, which by the way, we had our, we had our retreat last weekend. And at the end of the retreat, um, as it goes, which I've only been to two now, but this is how it's gone both times, is we, we've affirmed the verses that we're going to, um, you know, commit to in the coming year. And then, we, and, then, and then Jay says, all right, so now which elders want to give the state of the church sermon? Um, it's uh, in eight days. And, um, and it was us. And I was glad that it was us. Um, Dan is somebody that I've learned a lot from. Dan and I are very similar in some ways and very different in some ways. And I imagine that those of you in this room that I don't know are also very similar in some ways and very different in some ways. Everybody on our elder board 
in the session is very, are very similar in some ways and are very different in some ways. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. This past week, um, I, I, we flew home last night. We got in a little bit after 9 o'clock last night. Um, and so Dan and I really didn't have a lot of time to make our, what, what we felt like we were going to say, we didn't really have a lot of time to make it mesh. But the beautiful thing is that the Word of God is, is unswerving. Our message to the world around us is unswerving. And the truth that we hold on to is unswerving. And so as long as we're faithful to that, we have every bit of confidence to believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us, that the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives and will continue to work in all of our lives. And as we are faithful to hold to that unswervingly, that he'll continue to do that. A couple of weeks ago when I was here uh, speaking, uh, I talked about the new things that God is doing and the new ways that he's doing them. And we've had a year like no other year, but we could probably almost say that about any year. I don't think there hasn't, you know, history, although it has a tendency to repeat itself, there's always nuances and things that we don't see coming. And God is teaching us things in our lives, in our circumstances, and through one another that we didn't see coming. And that's good. That means we're actually learning something. If we knew it was coming, there'd be no excitement in that. So just like Dan asked for some audience participation, I'm also going to ask for some audience participation. And I have a couple of questions. It has to do with decision making. What are things, as you think about taking a risk or taking action, what are some of the things that go through your mind that lead you to decide whether or not you should do something? What goes into your decision making? How much time is it going to take? How is this going to end? What else? Make a list of pros and cons, and if the pros outweigh the cons, then okay. Okay, do I have the skills needed to do the job? Why should I do it? Any others? I'm sorry? Why am I doing it? What's my motivation? That's a great question to ask. What's the cost? Yeah. I think all these things are great answers. Um, and I think all of them, we would all agree, are, are things that come into our mind. And we all weigh the cost. We all count the cost in slightly different ways. And the answers to those questions have probably led us to do a lot of different things. There's another question that I think that I have started to try to train myself to ask more and more. And sometimes it's the answer to this question that ultimately puts me over the edge to, to taking action. And the question is, what's the cost if I do nothing? What's the cost of not taking action? Because we can count the cost, and we can think about time, and we can think about, am I equipped, or do I feel equipped? We can think about a lot of things. And honestly, a lot of those are very res responsible and appropriate things for us to ask. But a lot of those questions are very self-centered. When we ask the question of what happens if I do nothing, a lot of times that question, the answer to that question, seems to be focused more on others. What will happen if I don't act is that others may miss out, others may suffer, others may go without. And so sometimes it's the answer to that question 
that ultimately leads us to action. So when we say to cons- that we want to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, certainly we all get, you know, th- there are certainly benefits um, to serving, and there's lots of great positive things that come from taking our eyes off of ourselves and, and, and serving, but we don't, we don't do that just for personal gain. We don't do that just for personal accolades. That's not why Jesus did what he did. That's not why heroes of scripture did what they did, and that's not why they're commended for what they did. It's because of what it did and what it accomplished in a grander scheme. What happened to the world around those people when they acted? What happened in the, uh, the ultimate example, what happened when Jesus Christ humbled himself, gave his life, the world was changed. And the world around us has changed when we do smaller things. Next question. What does it mean to take a risk? What do you, when you hear the word risk, what things come to mind? Discomfort. Discomfort. Yes, absolutely. Failure. Failure. Right. Potential for failure, at least, definitely. Injury. I've been there. <laughs> what else? Loss. Loss. Okay. Any other thoughts? Making things worse rather than better. There's always that risk, right? Okay. So let me ask this question. If someone were to look impartially at your life, how is it that they would understand your faith? It's kind of a rhetorical question because I think we all know the answer. How do people that look at our lives understand our faith? It's by what we do. It's not by what we think. It's not by our intentions. It's by what we do. That's how people know our faith. There's a number of of quotes that I came across um, in the past when I've talked about this type of subject and and even just this last week. Um, But think about this. Think about these quotes. Stephen Covey says this, we judge ourselves by our intentions and others by their behavior. Um, In his article, Intent Versus Action, We Are Nothing But What We Do, Von Grenier points out, that we see everything through the lens of what we're trying to do, not through the lens of what we actually did. Andy Stanley, in his book, uh, The Principles of the Path, he says, direction, not intention, determines your destination. We can have good intentions. That doesn't get us anywhere. In his book, uh, Action Trumps Everything, Lynn Schlesinger, he's the president at Babson College, says this, that there needs to be an appropriate balance between how much thinking we do and how much doing we do. And I say this, it's easy to overestimate the effort of strong opinions and intentions and underestimate the effect of taking action. Even small actions, especially over time, make a great impact. A couple of weeks ago, again, when I was here talking about the new things that God is doing and how he works in that way, we talked about how we oftentimes set artificial timelines. 
and how those timelines tend to come and go. We talked about specifically with regard to the pandemic, when we say things like, well, when things get back to normal, then I will do whatever it is. But we set our artificial timelines aside from something like a pandemic. We set our artificial timelines from the time we're children. You know, when, when we're little, we think, well, when I'm, when I'm this tall, I'll be able to do this. When, I'm, when I graduate high school, when I graduate college, when I graduate graduate school, when I get a job, when I get married, when I have kids, when I buy a house, when I buy a bigger house, when I get a raise, when I retire. And these timelines tend to come and go. And we can have every intention of taking action and we can have, we can have strong opinions about how important it is. But if we had to ever actually do anything, then we never actually accomplish anything. We set artificial timelines, they come and go. And so what is it then that keeps us inactive? This is another real question for you to really answer. What is it that keeps us inactive? I'm sorry? Fear of failure. It's complacency, it's easy. What else, what keeps us inactive? We're lazy, that's honest. Somebody else will do it. Other priorities, definitely. I mean, great, great answers. This is, they're, they're all things that probably swirl through our minds anytime we think about the opportunity cost of doing something, right? An opportunity cost means that the cost of staying the same outweighs the cost of change. And so if, we, if, if, if it is that way, then we got to do something or it's going to cost us more. And, you know, laziness, fear, these things come into play more sometimes than we'd like to admit. The church is called a family and it's called a body. And in our elders retreat, one of the things that we affirm again and again and again is the fact, like Dan said, that not only do people matter, but persons matter, which means that you matter. Every individual part of the body matters. That there's no part of the body, according to our opinions and according to God's opinion, according to what the Word of God says, every part of the, God, every part of the body is important and necessary and essential. And if one part of the body suffers or is inactive, then the rest of the body suffers. Things aren't being done as well as they could be doing, done if every part of the body was active. And so our job is to spur each other on. Our job is to encourage each other. Our job is to admit that we all have the same hesitancy, we all have the same misgivings, we all have the same reluctancy. And it's a very, very encouraging thing to look at other people and say, wow, look at what they can do. We, we want to be careful. We don't want to, be, we don't want to elevate people more than we should. But, we, but, but it's an amazing thing when people use the gifts that God gave them. We also don't want to get into the mindset to say, well, like someone else said, if I don't do anything, it's still going to get done because this guy's doing it. Chris is doing it. I'm just pointing in that direction. If I don't do it, Chris will do it. And if Chris does it, it's going to be even better. And so I shouldn't do anything. We all believe lies like that. What we need to do is we need to encourage each other to use our gifts because our gifts are God-given. And he didn't give us our gifts so that we could treasure our gifts above him. 
He gave us our gifts so that we could show the world around us that we treasure Christ more than our gifts. In fact, if we treasure our gifts above Christ, it would be better if we didn't have them in the first place. And there are a lot of gifts that go unused. And there are a lot of gifts that go untreasured. And there's a lot of things that God has put just in this very room. There's so much untapped potential. Another thing I mentioned a couple of weeks ago is what I think about potential, which is I believe that potential is not your wildest dreams about what you can do because I believe that's far too small. Your potential is the, the purpose that God puts you onto this earth for. The fact that you woke up this morning is a testament to God's will yet to unfold in your life. God has things for you to do. God has things for me to do. He doesn't just have opinions for us to form. And he doesn't just have intentions for us to, to, to form. He has things for us to do. So we're called to take action for the sake of the gospel. Last week, when Jay was talking, he, he mentioned the concept of what could be versus what is. And in the context where he was speaking, um, he was talking about the fact that it's easy to be fatalistic. It's easy to be distressed um, beyond what may be reasonable, that it's easy to be paralyzed by fear. And realistically, all of us have some degree of worst-case scenario thinking, uh, and we'd admit that it can be taken to an unhealthy point. But while he, was, while he was saying that, my mind was just racing, because all of us have a different perspective. In my perspective on what could be versus what is, here's what, here's what comes to my mind. I think there's untapped potential all around us. What could be versus what is? What is might be safe, and what could be might keep us inactive. But what could be can also spur us on. The untapped potential in this room, the untapped potential in our children, the untapped potential in the community around us, the things that God has for us to do, the reason why he woke us up this morning, all of these things are what could be. And there's a saying that I really like that says that leaders move people from here to there. That's our job as leaders. And by leaders, I don't just mean people who have a platform. I don't mean people who just get up in front of a crowd and speak. As Christians, we're all called to lead people that are around us. We all have, have a, fear, a sphere of influence, and we're all leaders in our respective spheres. As leaders move people from here to there, the first step is not to make there sound phenomenal. It's to make here sound intolerable. I'll say that again. That the first step is not to make there sound phenomenal. It's to make here sound intolerable because there's a lot of things about here that are intolerable. I'll give you some, some for instances in just a moment. But we must build a strong case for why we cannot stay put and why that would be disastrous. Here. Those who can't stand up for themselves are abused and written off. Here, 20.9 million people worldwide are trafficked in the sex trade in modern-day slavery. Here, the average age a girl enters prostitution is 14. Here, 19.8% of pregnancies end in abortion. Here, 
Suicide has become one of the leading causes of death in America. And in our state, the rate is nearly twice the national average. Here, our culture self-medicates and attempts to drown their sorrows. Here, we are surrounded by people who silently suffer and feel alone. Maybe this year, more than any other. Here, life can seem meaningless and without purpose. Here, people are held captive by the very things they turn to for escape. And lastly, here, people perish not knowing the Savior. That's why we want to go there. Leaders move people from here to there. Getting to there means taking action. We want people to understand the hope of Jesus Christ. The things that we affirm last weekend again and again at this church in the leadership and, and throughout the entire body are that every person matters, that you matter, that you have a job to do, and if you're hurting, we all are hurting. The fact is that we want to be a church that is focused outside of our walls. We want to pour a lot of resources in that direction. And in the coming weeks and in the coming months, you'll hear more about specifics about how we believe we're going to do that not to say that we shouldn't all be doing that individually already, but together as a church, there are things that we believe are very, very important that, we are, that we're going to take action toward in the coming year. But we can't take action unless the whole church comes along. This church is a body, and we can't be a divided body. The last thing is that we believe that it's important to teach the word of God. Everything that we do, we want to run through these three, um, through these three litmus tests to say, how, how is it that the things that we're choosing to do accomplish these three things? Affirming that everybody matters, every person matters, you matter, that we want to teach the word of God and we want to be focused outwardly. Are there things that we can do to change or tweak the things that we're currently doing so that we accomplish those three ends more effectively? Be looking for that and be thinking about that. If you're involved in an area of ministry and you think that there's an opportunity to make that ministry more focused outwardly, or if there's a way to make that ministry more focused on the individual gifts, or if you think there's a way to make that individual ministry um, function better and, and affirm the word of God more, please, if, if we don't hear regularly from each other, then we never know. We, we have a very limited perspective if we don't hear very regularly from one another. We're called to do amazing things. We're called to do big things. Not necessarily big things, but maybe big things. Don't shy away from big things if you're called to do them. But don't shy away from small things because you think they're insignificant. Some of the heroes in each one of our lives are people that did very small things very consistently. Um, one of my best, the best example I can think of that is my grandparents. They passed away years ago. But I remember from my earliest memories of them, every time we were together, they were always doing something for somebody else. We were always, they were always praying for us. They prayed for their kids. They prayed for their grandkids. They prayed for their great-grandkids. Every morning, we'd have breakfast, and we would read devotionals together. They, would, they were always, always doing small things for other people. 
and a lifetime of those small things made an incredible difference. And some of you in this room have lived lives full of small things, and you've made an incredible difference, and you're an inspiration for all of us. That's part of how we're spurred on, is by looking to the examples around us, and there are many. God is doing great things in this congregation. So the cost of not taking action is that the world wouldn't know God for who he really is. There's so much more to come. He has so much planned for us to do. In the meantime, while we're waiting and while we're thinking and still figuring out what that looks like communally and as a church, the things that I want to be all about and the things I want to encourage you all to be about are a few simple steps, a few simple actions that we can take. First, is that we should constantly be in prayer about what does God want us to do? Who is God bringing into our lives? What are we supposed to do? What gifts did he give us and how can we use them to serve the world around us? Second, when you see people doing extraordinary things, spur them on. Edify them, encourage them. Reinforce the fact that what they're doing is amazing. It's a blessing to all of us. The people who are watching our kids right now, the people who take care of things behind the scenes, the things that very few people get a chance to see regularly. If you see something like that, you need to be all about, I need to be all about, we all need to be all about encouraging that and being thankful through that, thanking God and thanking individuals who serve so faithfully. Look around at who's missing. Who isn't here this morning that you haven't seen recently? Who isn't here this morning that needs to be here? Who isn't here this morning that needs to be encouraged? Who haven't you heard from recently? Some people, I realize, even if they're not here, they may still be engaged with, with many of us and with the church. There might be a lot of things that, that uh, we don't know about. But if you are looking around and you don't see somebody and you're not sure exactly where they're at, Reach out to that person. That's the type of unique individual action that makes a huge difference. And lastly, look for ways to serve. Be thankful for the gifts that God gave you and look for unique and, and exciting ways that you can use those to serve other people. Maybe that's in the church, maybe that's in your neighborhood, maybe that's in your family, whatever it is. Find ways to serve. Those are the types of actions that we can be all about now. Again, your potential is not your wildest dreams for yourself. That is far too small. Your potential is the purpose that God puts you on this planet for. The fact that you woke up this morning is a testament to God's work yet to unfold in your life. There are things that he has for you to do. There are people that he has for you to reach. We need to be people of action, and the time for that action is now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who's here. Thank you so much for the fact that, that we have centuries and, and millennia of examples of people who took great actions, who were empowered by you to do great things. And God, thank you for the fact that we have people here in our body and in this room and in our lives who also spur us on. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to love one another. Help us to seek to serve in all that we do. God, thank you so much for your word. 
Help us to be faithful to it. We ask it all for your son's sake and in his name. Amen.